Hello, gentle listener. Or not so gentle listener. You might be a psychopath. We have no idea. You're, <laughs> you're listening to FabRadioInternational.com or possibly the Starburst podcast system. This is The Bookworm, which is a, a podcast slash radio show for all of your delicious genre book news. I am your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with the other host. The other host. Opening for Hayes. Hello. Uh, and today on the show, we will be talking to Cassandra Clare, and we will also be talking to Holly Black, because, you know, I was able to interview two lovely ladies at once. I will make no innuendo. Also coming up on the show, I will be reviewing A Metal Made Flesh, a bite of Jeremy Biggs, and Ninfa, what are you reviewing? I'm going to be reviewing Cushell's Dart, which is the first book in the Cushell series by Jacqueline Carey. Across the world, 24 hours a day. This is Fatboyian International. But before we get... But before we get to any of that, it's time for the book news. So... Um, many of you bibliophiles would have been staying up late, urgently, urgently waiting, waiting for the news. Refreshing those feeds on Facebook and, and Twitter. Twitter yeah. yeah, yeah, being desperately, not not to find out about the Booker Prize, because let's ca- face it, who cares? Richard Flanagan won, won by the way, uh, for, for a book about uh, mines in Australia. Uh, no, 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 no. You're talking nonsense. You won about a bu- uh, book about a fictitious account of working on the uh, Burma Railway in the Second World War. Which is a very serious topic, and I should not, mm. I, I should not make light. Um, and it's probably a wonderful book, but not one of ours. No, everyone was staying up late, not because of Richard Flanagan. They were staying up late because an American tourist called David Willis got trapped in Wadstones. <laughs> Trafalgar Square. Oh, poor sod. I mean... How does, how does that <laughs> even happen? Well, if you're really like quiet and sitting in a corner, like browsing a book, and everyone's already sort of done the rounds and cashed up, and haven't realised that you're sitting in a corner, but they, browsing they, they, a they, book, they, they also probably didn't have any sort of motion sensor alarm in there. No. Why would you need a motion sensor alarm? Is it because the book's room at night? Yes, because the book's room at night. That's why they don't have motion sensors. That's because a of the secret. Books. You can't. So you've got to be quiet in a library because you don't want to wake the books up. No. No. What we have proven is that there's no Vasta Narada inside Waterstones. Which Trafalgar, is Square. Trafalgar Square. Trafalgar Square. You don't know I'm, about I'm not sure about Deansgate. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't like to say. <clears throat> but, um, uh, a ho- yes, so no horrible monsters, but American tourists. Um, in, in Trafalgar Square, basically this happened quite late on the evening. Um, he, he sent a text saying, help. He actually sent a, twi- uh, a tweet before he texted his girlfriend. No, 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 that was at the other end. Once he'd got out, he tweeted before he got in touch with his girlfriend. Apparently yeah. <laughs> posted on Instagram a picture of the inside of the locked door going, um, is someone on the way? Yeah. <laughs> um, I've been stuck here now for hello. now. Hashtag no filter. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that, that, I mean, 
I have to say, yes, probably real life would have been a, oh my God, I need to get home. But really, really, what I would have done is, hi, honey, um, can't get home tonight. I will see you in the morning. Mm. And just stayed there and read all the and, books. And frankly, if somebody isn't already working on some sort of rom-com based on this entire incident, I'll be shocked. <laughs> uh, oh, I- the poor tourist that gets locked in and, and, and the little... A uh, shop assistant that goes and opens the doors. I would, I would, I would. You see, you see, I wouldn't be that romantic. I'd go straight to the couch, pick up a bunch of fairly light reads, possibly because most of these places have a cafe now. Put plonk some money on the county, help myself to a couple of muffins. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and you, and then just, and then complain uh, in the morning and get all the books. I don't, I don't want you to pay me. No, it's fine. I'll just have a, a free trip around your shop and just grab all the books that I want. Thank you very much. But I, I love the Twitter reaction, which was somebody going, "You need to find a book on lock picking, dude." <laughs> Because that's exactly what you would do. Yeah, yeah. Love it. And and then Waterstones came back the next day with a suggested um, reading list if you asked locked in a bookshop for two hours. God bless them. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do, let's face it? But yeah, um, more su- news. I- I'm surprised, by the way, that Waterstones didn't you send like the keys via their, their state-of-the-art owl service. Well, absolutely. Shocking. <laughs> um, maybe they did. Maybe that's why it took two hours. <laughs> Um, the owl got distracted. Yeah, I, I was getting very easily distracted. Uh, Pam McMillan has assigned uh, a deal with um, the co-creator of Twin Peaks, Mark Frost, to produce a novel called The Secret Lives of Twin Peaks. Um, See, I'm of that age when where I actually still remember The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer, um, which was a, 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 a piece um, written by... Um, Lynch's daughter, I think, uh, which was pure and utter filth. <laughs> and it was, to my teenage self, it was like, oh my God, all the naughtiness. You see, I, I never read it, but I do remember the t-shirts that were, I killed Laura Palmer. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I, the, the, the thing I remember the most about Twin Peaks was, was watching it, uh, watching the repeats really late at night so that my parents wouldn't know I was watching and be utterly terrified <laughs> at Bob. Because what you could what 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 will you call like the 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 scariest man in the world, Bob? Bob. Yeah, I loved Twin Peaks. Uh, it sounds like there was a bit of a scramble to get this one uh, signed off. To be honest, um, it looks like it's going to be on the tour imprint, but it's Pan Macmillan, so you know, tour tour is tour. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what Nightvale are going to be on as well. I'm not 100 percent sure. Well, it was Orbit Books. It's Orbit, it's Orbit, Orbit Books. Books. You're right. Um, that's going to be exciting. We should talk future about show, that. Future show, future show. Future show. Lemony Snicket author, uh, Daniel Handler, a.k.a. Lemony Snicket. Oh no, we revealed his name! Um, uh, his You've ruined it for me. I don't, I don't, don't think it like counts you. if he's out with himself first. Yeah. Um, uh, is involved in Authors United and the whole Hachette Amazon thing. <laughs> I kind of. If it sounds, gentle listener, like I have lost the world of live at this point, because <laughs> I, I have when it comes to, to the Hachette versus Amazon. I just want to lock them in a room. Not so they deal with it and sort it out. I just want to lock them in a room. Lock them in a room. <laughs> leave. Problem solved. Uh, perhaps perhaps not the most um, useful thing. So, yeah, uh, that's pretty much the book news. Oh, and uh, Dave Gibbons. Dave Gibbons has been announced the first comic book laureate. 
Ooh, that was announced last night. Yes, I saw that. Um, at the Lakes, which is the uh, big comics convention that we can't afford to go to. Uh, <laughs> Someone sponsor us. Have you got some, you know, a f- few hundred, few thousand pounds and it want to promote this, t- you know, award-seeking Ninfa, radio show? Ninfa, Ninfa, I don't think anyone cares. I uh, love you. But anywho... Um, <laughs> It does look fantastic. Lix looks like an absolutely fantastic comic festival. Essentially, they've all hired away to Kendall and some of the the leading lights of the comic book industry across the world have hired away away to Kendall um, just before Fort Bubble ramps up and builds up, which is also very clever. Um, So part of a UK tour going on at the moment for various authors and various comic creators. Uh, It sounds absolutely lovely. And also we now have a comics laureate, which is about time, to be honest. Because we have a lobby for all sorts of things these days. So why not comic books? We're very, we're very good at it. Um, have we run out of news? It, I it believe so, so, yeah, yeah. Wow. Quite, quite weak for news. Wow. Well, you know, it, it's getting dark. <laughs> you know, People like. go to sleep earlier. <laughs> you know, they get tucked in. It's a bit horrible. I, suspe- I suspect we're in that little lull before we get all the Christmas book releases. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. the, the, is it Super Tuesday, Super Thursday, Super Tuesday, Super Thursday? Thursday when all I the think. books, when all the books come out, I'm pretty sure it's Super Thursday. I don't know, it's, it's but gonna, I could be wrong. It's going to be exciting for for writing the Brave New Words column, which is about coming releases in Starburst magazine, of which are obviously Starburst magazine issue four six is out now in very good book, uh, very good magazine stores and newsagents, and also in very bad newsagents. But if you got stuck in a bookshop for two hours. You get can in, tweet get, us. Get, get in touch. Yeah, get in touch and tell us what you would read. <laughs> you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr via Radio Bookworm. We're at Radio Bookworm. We're forward slash Radio Bookworm. And you can Tumblr search us for Radio Bookworm. You can also find us on Mixcloud as Radio Bookworm. And you can get to us via the Starburst website, starburstmagazine.com. Um, just look for podcasts. And we're on there somewhere. Uh, we're also on there as iTunes. Um, Subscribe. Oh. Love us. Hate us. Subscribe. Leave comments. It really does help us out if you like the show. But yeah, it'd be really interesting. If you were stuck in Waterstones for like two, three hours, what book would you pick up? What would you read? Let us know. Radio Book World. See, you've only got two hours, so you've got to pick something light. Like, you mm. know, War and Peace, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you would pick up? Alan Moore's Mammoth, even though it's not out yet. <laughs> it's only a million words, you'll be fine. It's not called Mammoth, I've just decided it is now. That's its name. Coming up next, Ed's Review. I will be talking about Metal Made Flesh. So, today on the show, I will be uh, reviewing uh, an indie book, so it's a small press book. Produced by Subversive Comics um, or Subversive Media. Um, they're well known for their zombie teddy bear line and their series of The Walking Dead. Sorry, Walking Ted um, merchandise and stuff. They uh, recently did a Kickstarter for their cyberpunk themed world, uh, Metal Made Flesh, which is a sci fi world set on a place called Chuaoni. I don't know if I've got that pronounced right, but um, Chuaoni is. Chua-oni. Um, is your stereotypical cyberpunk world. If you are a fan of things like Appleseed um, or The Ghost in the Shell, this is very much a kind of British take, and it's a very British take, 
on the world of cyberpunk. Now, I think I think if you're into the cyberpunk genre, which if you don't know what cyberpunk is, well, where have you been? But it's essentially it's a, a combination of technology and um, humanity and everything. You know, the darkest possible things have happened. So you have cyborgs everywhere, and the result of various world wars and all the rest of it. And consciousnesses can be transferred from man to machine to genetically engineered abomination. That sort of thing. Um, what this is is it's very heavily inspired by the kind of it's very much more heavily inspired by the uh, Japanese and Eastern style cyberpunk than it is by the Western cyberpunk. Western cyberpunk is fairly depressing. Um, it's mostly a metaphor for for corporate takeover, whereas Japanese cyberpunk is mostly post-war. Uh, the metaphors tend to be more about man's inhumanity, man, and what it means to be human. The, the overall theme, I think, I think the big difference is um, in Japanese cyberpunk, singularity happened and nobody noticed. Whereas in Western cyberpunk, we're kind of uh, waiting for technological space daddy to come and fix everything still. Mm. Um, so, what is Metal Made Flesh? Metal Made Flesh is a novella. Um, it's also a kind of a light novel. Now, in Japan, you get a thing called a light novel, which is uh, text and then plates of basically comic book style art. Um, some famous, um, some famous movies have been made in light novels. Uh, sorry, light novels have been made in movies in the past. Um, Edge of Tomorrow was recently was started off as a light novel. is a good example. So this is a light novel. So it's got lots and lots of beautiful art. So I'm going to mm. concentrate on the art first. The art is gorgeous. Drawn by a chap called Simeon Ashton. It is bright, fully coloured, and very, very, very gory. And you can flip through the book itself and just see the artwork and get an idea as to what the story is sort of is about. And it looks stark and it looks unpleasant. And it's broken into three stories to give us a kind of whistle-stop tour of the world. So the first story, called Flesh, is about an assassin. And the assassin's job is to go and kill a alien clown. Yes, an alien clown. Um, and he's, he does this by putting his consciousness into the body of a boy so the boy can go on to the clown show and do some horrible things. It's a fairly short, short story. It's a fairly horrible story. It's cyberpunk. Things aren't likely to end that well. Now, it's worth pointing out that these three short stories are not connected to each other, except for the fact that they're giving you a kind of snapshot of the world. Yes, so it's, it's in the same world, and that's the, the, the only sort of link to it. The second story is Mid. Uh, you see what they've done there? Metal Mid Flesh. Um... A certain one is mid, and it's about a man who has a terrible, terrible secret. This gives us more of an idea as to what the city itself is like, what the actual planet itself is like, and what the people who live there have to deal with from day to day. It's much more Judge Dredd in theme, it's much more sewer running, it's much darker. Um, it's the closest, it's the most western of all of them, to be honest, and it's the most, uh, it's actually the most engaging of them all. Um, the final story, Flesh, is about a killer robot cyborg prostitute thing. Um, <laughs> it is the weakest of the... It's got the prettiest art and also the weakest of the stories. Um, this is because I think it really tries to emulate Ghost in the Shell in tone and idea and concept. Um, and also, it's kind of... It run, it's it's got so much world it's trying to cram into mm. that it's trying to, like, you know, this part of the world and that part of the world... And it's just a little bit too dense and it's a little bit too cliche. It's some lovely ideas. And the thing I liked about this 
is it is packed full of lovely ideas and it is really good that this stuff like this exists it's really good that this was done by a kickstarter it was mm. assembled by a kickstarter um it, it's available via subversive media uh, subversive comics subversive media i like that that this sort of project can get off the ground and is popular is it a brilliant book it's not brilliant is it good yes if you like cyberpunk you'll enjoy it if you're looking for something that's you know if you're a big fan of Appleseed, ghost in the shell mm. and that sort of thing dominion tank police to an extent i looked at it and sort of i think my, my first thought was ghost in the shell and neon ian flux yes uh, ian flux is, a, is another good take it does feel a little bit retro because i mean a lot of us left that sort of genre and that sort of storytelling behind mm. a good decade ago but it's nice that it's you know that it still has a fan base and yeah. it's still happening and, and it's also nice to see um it coming out of the uk well just just because you mentioned ghost in the shell and you said oh it's a bit retrograde and i was actually it's in production for a movie now and apparently scarlett johansson's been tipped as the um leading lady for it so it's obviously still got a massive fan base so the genre's still alive and kicking i think i think one of the things i have to say about the art by the way is the art is not anime styly it's very very much it looks like it could have come out of the pages of 2080 it's it really finally. is comic comic book gorgeous absolutely gorgeous but colors and foley, foley, very detailed very very beautiful foley foley western and sort of you know closer in i think influences art wise to the likes of 2000 ad and that sort of you know that sort of kind of rebellion side of artwork um very very much so um whereas the storytelling again owes quite a lot to the likes of william gibson um but this is essentially trying to tell it's a weird meld of, of western and eastern ideas and it's the first western light novel i've actually seen at cyberpunk which mm. is you know which is also nice i think you could debate whether it's a light novel because it's not quite you know, it's not quite a light novel it doesn't quite do the same sort of storytelling that they do but it's close enough as far as i'm concerned mm. so reminds us once more what's the book it's called metal made flesh uh, it's available on Subversive Media. You can get it on metalmadeflesh.com. It is illustrated, and it's very well il- illustrated by Simeon Ashton, and it is written by Jeremy Biggs. Across the world, 24 hours a day. So I was lucky enough to catch up with Holly Black and Cassandra Clare. They were doing a tour recently. Uh, if you were very lucky, you might have caught them. Um, and we were talking about a book that they'd recently worked on together. And we also got time to talk about some separate projects that they're working on themselves. Um, so enjoy this interview with two charming and utterly lovely ladies. This is Fab Radio International. Holly Black and Cassandra Clare, welcome to the book round. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. And can you tell us who you are and what the new book is, please? Hi, I'm Holly Black. Hi, I'm Cassandra Clare. And we are the co-authors of the Magisterium series, the first book of which, The Iron Trial, is just out. 
Um, it's a book about a 12-year-old boy named Callum Hunt who really, really, really doesn't want to go to magic school. Um, his father has told him that if he attends magic school, he will be murdered by the teachers down in the caves, which is where the school is located. And so all that he wants is not to go. But that doesn't work out so well for him. As well, you might expect. As you might imagine, it, that doesn't work out for him. How much has Harry Potter had an influence on the Magisterium and similar works? Um, it, it, I think it certainly uh, is influenced by... I mean, there's a, obviously a really... There's a, a genre of magic school books um, you know, that exist prior to perhaps the most famous magic school book that you may be referring to, Harry Potter. Um, and, you know, this takes from, obviously, magic school books. But uh, I think what we wanted to do is ring certain change on it. It's not a parody by any stretch of the imagination, but um, I believe it does... I believe it does contain some surprises. I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, as Holly said, it's not a parody. You know, it, it, it definitely participates seriously in the genre. But without those other magic school books, um, it couldn't exist. I think is is also true. Um, we deliberately um, mirror aspects of famous uh, children's series. I mean, like Harry Potter, like Percy Jackson, things like that. Because it sets up certain expectations in the reader. They think that they know the story that they're going to get because they are familiar with it. And so without being able to build those expectations in the readers because of their familiarity, I don't think that the surprises would work. Why is fantasy so popular now? I don't think that there's ever been a time when fantasy wasn't popular. Um, I think that certainly, though... Um, you know, I grew up, you know, in the, the 70s and 80s, and there was a lot of fantasy that was hugely popular then. And now, as an adult, I know that myself and my peers are some of the people who are creating fantasy. So I think that, you know, as you come of age, you go, you know, you reach back to the stuff that you loved growing up. And every genre creates its own, sorry, every generation creates its own fantasy, I think. And and fantasy changes um, as per generations. For instance, Lord of the Rings was one generation's fantasy. And then we have Anne Rice as another generation's fantasy. And then we have Buffy the Vampire Slayer. and, And, you know, and then we have Percy Jackson. And so we... We, we sort of evolve our fantasy as, as generations evolve and each one kind of reflects the people who are writing it. How different is this work from the Mortal Instruments? Well, I mean, it was very different. Um, the Mortal Instruments series is um, built along the lines of mythology. It, it contains a lot of angel and demon mythology, you know, very deliberately draws on sort of Dante's Inferno and Paradise Lost and creates this whole race of angels and demons and um, war in heaven type stuff. Everything takes place on a very big scale. Um, And as well as being, you know, different because it's a co-written project and so I'm not the only one working on it and making the decisions, obviously. The Magisterium takes place on 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 a slightly more intimate scale of what happens to these people and their school and their situation and their families. Um, and so it's, it's interesting to draw, I think, on a slightly less uh, epic canvas. Um, and also, of course, to write about different, a different age group. I mean, the, the, the protagonists of the Mortal Instruments are teenagers, largely in you know, the 16, 17, 18 years old. And uh, with 
Iron Trial, our uh, Callum, our main character, is twelve. So his concerns are very different. How does the Magisterium books compare with the Spiderwick Chronicles? Well, I mean, you know, I, I've written young adult and I've written much, much younger. And um, Magisterium is sort of interestingly in the middle. I mean, it's older than Spiderwick, certainly. Um, and uh, a very, very different in terms of, um, you know, I was drawing on folklore with Spiderwick. You know, Tony and I were working with, you know, the long tradition of fairy folklore. And with Magisterium, you know, we, Cassie and I got to create a magic system from scratch. Um, we got to make all the decisions about it rather than with fairy folklore where you're, you know, you want it to feel like a reflection of those stories. So that was very different. Holly, what can you tell me about the darkest part of the forest? Oh, well, it's funny that we talk about spider rake and fairy folklore because um, Darkest Part of the Forest, uh, I'm actually returning to some fairy folklore, but for teenagers. Uh, it was really fun to go back and get to um, draw on those stories again. It's uh, set in a town called Fairfold, which uh, where they have a horned prince in a glass coffin out in the forest, and tourists come to take their pictures with him. Kids go out there to party um, beside him, and... Um, Two kids who have grown up there, uh, Hazel and Ben, have told each other stories about him for as long as they can remember. And then one day, the prince isn't there anymore, and they have to figure out why. And that's what it's about. Cassandra, what can you tell us about dark artifices? Oh. <laughs> I'm working on uh, the first book right now. It's called Lady Midnight, and it's a uh, companion piece to the Mortal Instruments um, series and uh, I ended the Mortal Instruments series by really shaking up the government of the of the magical world that in which it takes place and so for me it's it's quite interesting because um, now I, I'm revisiting the world five years down the line and sort of seeing the repercussions of. Uh, what's changed about the world now that they've made sort of they've made a series of new laws that are that are actually pretty bad laws and so what what's happened to the society of these shadow hunters after um their world's changed in this way and um also it's set in los angeles and um revolves around the 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 teenagers who live in the institute of los angeles and uh, it's great for me because that's where I grew up. Um, and I set uh, Mortal Instruments in New York, which is where I lived as an adult. But when I was a child and when I was a teenager, I lived in Los Angeles. And so for me to get to revisit L.A. and to write about it the way that a teenager experiences it is a very exciting thing because I'm writing about my own experiences of that city when I was a teenager. How did the pair of you end up working together? We've actually been friends for 12 years. I, um, uh, we were friends uh, from just a little bit after my first book, Tithe, came out. Um, I met Cassie in New York um, at my very first book signing. She came out to see me. We had corresponded a little bit before that, and we got to be critique partners. And so when you are two writers who have known each other a really long time, you often think, huh, maybe we should do a project together. So it was just a matter of finding the right project. And, um, you know, one day we just got to talking and we started talking about this idea and we thought it would be something that would be really fun to do together. And lo, we have. And how does working together work for you? Well, we have a what we think is probably an unusual system, but um, I suppose every collaboration is different. We uh, 
usually need to be in the same place, in the same room. Um, we work on a computer that's pretty dedicated to magisterium. And so I'll write, say, 500 words, 600 words, and then pass the computer to Holly. She'll write over what I've written, edit it, change it, add, subtract. And then um, she'll write her own 600 words, pass it back to me. I'll write over what she's written, add, subtract, change, alter. And then, you know, so on. And so what it creates is a very unified voice. Um, there's no portion of the text that was only really written by one of us or worked on by one of us. And so um, because everything is from our hero's point of view, from Callum's point of view, we really wanted to create the sense of a voice for him. And um, that was singular. And so we wanted to write the book in a manner that where you couldn't tell who had written what. And we put it to the ultimate test. We gave it to our mothers to read. They both read it and they couldn't tell who had written what. What's next? Well, um, for a long time, I've wanted to write a high fantasy series. Um, It was the very first thing I started working on before I started working on Tithe. And I sometimes I think that I might be ready to do it. uh, (laughs) I mean, it's a big commitment. It's creating a lot of um, different things at the same time, you know, creating a whole world. Um, But it's something that I'd like to do someday. And for uh, many years, I worked uh, actually as a journalist before I was a fiction writer. And I worked for tabloid magazines, so reporting on the lives of the rich and famous and reporting on the gossip. And I've always thought that it would be fun to write a behind this, like to write about somebody who worked for a tabloid magazine, to write a realistic fiction book that's kind of a bit... Um, of a behind-the-scenes tell-all kind of adventure about what that's like. What inspires you? Uh, for me, it's, uh, and this is Cassie speaking, it's abs- travel. I mean, absolutely traveling. Um, I travel a lot. And poor Holly has to come with me a lot of the time. <laughs> but um, I, being in another part of the world, being in another country, um, being in beautiful places, that uh, experiencing different cultures, that's what um, ab- inspires me, absolutely. For me, probably the thing I find most inspiring is folklore and fairy tales and myths and um, often artwork associated with those as well. I I really um, am drawn to visual inspiration, Um, but, you know, I think sometimes you just don't even know where the inspiration comes from. It's just the odd thought combined with the weird thing. You know, the strange obsession, for instance, for a while, I remember reading about the subway tunnels in New York and sort of just becoming really interested with the people who lived there. Um, and I have no idea why that interested me at the time. I became, And then later it found its way into a book. So I think sometimes I don't even know what the thing is that's going to inspire me. Yeah, and for me, like I got the idea for my series, The Informal Devices, when I was crossing Blackfriars Bridge in London and I suddenly had this idea So um, for a series that set in London. And so definitely, um, for whatever reason, being away from home um, sets off my imagination. What advice would you give to a 16-year-old version of yourself? Buy a structured blazer. (laughs) (laughs) That is good advice. (laughs) Yeah, uh, don't date that guy. Um, I think I would probably tell myself 
if I if I was meeting the sixteen year old me and I wanted to talk about writing and not you know tell myself to you know avoid the mistakes that I've made in my life in some other way, I would tell myself um, that I should stop. Uh, that that I I used to be a person who compulsively took lots and lots of notes and did lots of outlines for for books, and I'm still an outliner, but I would write you know fill pages with lots of details about characters and their things they liked and things they hated and their favorite food and their favorite color and I would tell myself to stop doing that because um you get to know your characters and your story by writing them I would say just get to the writing and you know you'll come to know the characters as they act on the page and through the choices they make and then you'll go back and and edit and you'll you know with your new knowledge but um no matter how many pages of notebooks fill you'll never get to know them otherwise I think I would say truth or beauty Truth. Beauty. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> I thought beauty was truth and truth beauty. <laughs> Holly Black, Cassandra Clare, thank you very much for coming on the show. That was thank lovely you. to talk to you. Thank you. Embrace the alternative. This, this is Radio International. So that was the great interview um, with Cassandra Clare and Holly Black and our very own Ed Fortune. And that's Cassandra Clare joining the ranks of George Orwell Martin. Wow. This is scary, guys. Beauty, she said. Beauty. Mm, I don't know. Anyways, welcome back. It's Sunday. It's midday. It's the Bookworm and Fab Radio International sponsored by Starburst Magazine. And I'm Ning for Haste. Um... Ed's um, done his review for... uh, Metal Made Flesh. Metal Made Flesh. And um, today I'm reviewing one of my favourite books, which is Cushel's Dart by Jacqueline Carey. So, what's this monster book about? I say monster book because this is over a thousand pages. But it's over a thousand pages of a delightful, incredibly... intriguing story it's just amazing it's fantasy it's set on um, in a sort of alternative renaissance world um it's it's our world but it's completely different and it's like the renaissance never ended the i I like what she's done with with the whole um changing the names of the different nations and staying sort of um true to you know the the historical names and things like that it's it's very very clever so what's the story about the story uh, is a story of Phèdre now most of the names are in French so forgive me uh, Phèdre um, is um, a young very very young girl when she gets uh, sold to the night court of the blooming flowers uh, in Terre d'Ange uh, which is the equivalent of France basically and um, she's sold because um, her parents get married sort of um, against their family wishes and um, they're not very good at um, sort of keeping their finances so they have to part with the little child. And unfortunately, Fedra is flawed um, in a world, in a, in a nation that prides itself for incredible beauty. She's a beautiful young girl with a speckle of crimson in one of her eyes. So because she's flawed, everyone thinks she's not really going to do much with her life and, you know, she's not really going to amount to much in terms of uh, um, getting higher in the social echelons. However, um, when um, 
Anna Fialdoloni um, visits the house where Ferdre is, he recognises her as actually something different. So he takes her under his wing and adopts her. So she becomes Ferdre Nordeloni, uh, moves into his household and starts studying. And what does she study? She studies theology, history, politics, foreign languages and the arts of pleasure. And she becomes a trained courtesan. Uh, she deals in secrets, and most of these secrets are through her patrons. Um, unfortunately, as she deals in secrets, and as you do, she stumbles um, into a plot against her her country and gets basically captured and sent off far, far away to the land of Scaldia, which is a, a barbaric land far in the north. Uh, and her only companion is the protector that Delaney sort of gave her to make sure that when she escaped the household to go and meet her old friends from the night court, uh, she didn't get into trouble. Uh, and this is a, a warrior priest um, from Cassiel's line um, called Jocelyn. So the adventure in Scaldia of Jocelyn and Fedor will see him will see them against quite a whole lot of horrible things um and i'm gonna leave the sort of the story at that um because i don't want to get any spoilers so is it good yes it's very 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 incredibly good uh, there's loads that happen i mean you've got a thousand pages to get through but it's such an intricate world and it's so so beautifully described uh, everything's very much in detail and you get very easily drawn into the whole ambience of the story and, and it's so believable as well you totally just get it and totally want to live in that world even though it's half horrible uh, in many many ways um, I love Fed she's, she's an amazing main character um, and you just grow to love her and you sort of follow her story since she's a little girl up to when she's a young woman this is the first book in a very long series however you can read it and just finish it at the first book and not continue because there is a story arch that completes itself within the first book however you will want to read more there's several um trilogies in set in the world now um following different characters so you've got Thedra's story sort of spans six books um, and it sort of intermingles with other characters that then become the main storytellers of, of their own trilogy. And then there's a new trilogy that's just sort of finished um, that follows. It's it's a few years later in, in, in the world and you follow the story of a young girl in a different country. Uh, but it's, it's an absolute delight to read. Um, it's such, such a beautiful story. Um, if you love... A high fantasy but sort of like set as I said in the renaissance period so there's no elves this is the real world uh, but there is a sort of an undercurrent of magic and intrigue and um, there's a there's a royal line that you know we want to protect and the mythology and and the religious sort of side of the story as well it's it's incredible um basically that all of the nations in particular Taradange, Taradange, so um land of the angels uh in the mythology is created by a, by a group of angels that um sort of turn away from god to protect um god's child with earth uh Elua, and uh, 
I know it's be- it's beautiful, and she puts all of the religions of the world sort of like sets them back and kind of cleans them up and resets them in a way that you know all of the cultures are incredibly influenced by this these sort of religious paths, and it's just so well done. And as you go into the different books, as you read on into the world, the world just becomes incredibly big. And it's all really vivid. One of the things I always say is that a thousand pages is nothing if it's written in a way that makes you want to turn the page. Oh, absolutely. Um, Is it accessible? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean... So it's not a worn piece, a thousand words. No, no, definitely not. It is a very intriguing story. And it's literally... I think the first part of it, when Fedra's a little girl, can be a little hard to get through uh, at first. But actually, if you stick to it, because it's still really interesting, but it's a slow in because she's explaining what the world is and how you would see yourself within this world and, and what makes Fedra special and different. Um, so that you can connect with her as she grows into a young woman as well and starts learning about the world and what her place is going to become. Do you have to, once you've read the, the first one, is it a linear progression from the rest or are there lots of spin-off series? Um, it, there's, there's one story and then there's spin-off series that are linear though so they are set sort of so you've got Fedra's story and then once Fedra's story sort of comes to a natural conclusion there's a character that's part of Fedra's story and trouble that takes over and tells his own story but that again it's it's in progression so you still get Fedra in the background as a as an older woman uh, with this young young man that explores his own path and then there's a story set in Fedra's world uh, but some decades later that follows another girl in a different country which is sort of the equivalent of the UK um, but again it's it's further on but you still recognise the themes you recognise sort of the mythology of it and, and you know there are mentions to characters that you sort of get to know and, and get to love as you read the story. So it, it's very, very, very well done. Series. What other works would you compare it to? Oh, God, n- nothing that I've read. <laughs> um, nothing that I've read. Um, I, d- I, think, I think Jacqueline Carey with this is in a class all of her own, to be fair. Okay, so what's it called again? Um, it's Cushel's Dart. It's the first book in the Cushel series by Jacqueline Carey. Um, it's um, Eight Horror. So pick it up, love it, all thousand pages of it. We love Tor, we, we love you Tor. We love you Tor. Um, and uh, yes, an absolute delight to read, pick it up. Across the world, the real alternative, fabradiointernational.com. So, if you can identify the theme of today's show, you will uh, win a special prize. <laughs> um, it's worth reminding you that, um, of course, we are still running. Hachette loves Amazon. Uh, our five hundred word love Fleesh. story. Ish, yes, ish. It, Up to five hundred words. Tell me why this is the love story of the millennium. 
It's also Amazon Love Hachette. It's in fact Hachette and Amazon in, in love. love. Mm. Also, I've read enough fanfic to know that if you lock them in a room together, I know how that's working out. <laughs> Again, if you want to write that story, you can get to us on uh, Bookworm at fabradiointernational.com or you can contact us via Radio Bookworm on Twitter, and Facebook, Tumblr, Owl, Pigeon. Not Raven. only will I read that story live, I will also send you a list of books and you can pick a book and I will give it to you as a gift. You see, it's interesting because if we get enough stories, we have a number of very talented voice actors. <laughs> yeah, be... that would be us. I, for a split second, I thought you were going to say we should totally do an anthology. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would buy that anthology. I would also buy that anthology. Could, could we ironically get it listed on Amazon? <laughs> See, the problem, the problem is self-published. Is it's self-published. None of us have the skills to avoid the libel courts, so I suspect that there would be a there would be a, an interesting news. Ooh, intriguing! Can you libel a corporation? Um, mm, yeah. let me do some research into that. <laughs> if, if, if only we could get in touch with some sort of lawyer and find out. I know. If only we knew some of those. Uh huh. Uh huh. So, um, so you guys have been doing some really interesting things. We talked about a little bit last week about the Manchester Literary, Literary Festival and literature, 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 literature well, festival. Um, by the way, if you're sitting there going, but I, I, I'm in Ohio, Mister Fortune. I don't really. It's it's Manchester. Uh, Manchester has a lot of lit. Uh, it has a lot of festivals UK. generally. Of festivals and the UK has has a quite a, quite a good punch when it comes to talking about literature in general. Manchester has a very interesting history. It's also you know where we're based, so we're going to talk about the it. The interesting thing actually could be if you know if you are um, gentle listener from Ohio or psychopathic listener from Ohio you know we don't we don't judge you um, let us know if there's something exciting relating to books going on around your side of the pond and we will sort of like you know if let people know about it because it's cool if you're willing to correspond as well and let us know about the stuff that's going on in the rest of the world we, we love that we try and get up to London we try and get up to everywhere that we can to, to tell you about these things that are going on but obviously we are a very small team so uh, we'd love to talk about more about the, the but anyway the MLF what else what uh, what what did we miss last week uh, last week we talked about most of it um what we had not talked about because I had not yet been to it uh, was the history girls on monday just gone uh, which was two ladies talking about their various historical novels, doing a little bit of a read from new things they have out to punt to us, and talking about how they got into writing and all that. Uh, chaired by a chap called Jeremy de Groot, um, who works at Manchester University. He's also, um, I think, the chair of the festival altogether. Uh, historical literature is his sort of bag, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and they talked that about an hour, a few questions at the end. Quite interesting, possibly not really uh, genre but I don't know there's maybe an argument to be made for it you see I've just combined the idea of, of history girls therefore gone straight to history boys uh, because that's one of my favourite players could you imagine a genre version of the history boys <laughs> where they're all just massive nerds and they're, they're all trying to get into Oxford University uh, or Cambridge or, or what have you but they're again just massive nerds instead so instead of you know, it's all pop culture reference but um, yes, we can, we we can cover everything in pop culture really pretty much. What's that ice pot producer Al? 
Is that at Ohio Book <laughs> Festival? If you live in Ohio, uh, options for you are the Ohio Arna Book Festival, uh, April 25th, 2015, the Ohio University Spring Literature Festival, which appears to happen in late March each year. They don't as yet appear to have the details up for 2015, which is fair enough. Uh, the Ohio River Festival of Books, which has just been, but I'm going to imagine you might be able to go next year. Uh, and is that Ohio? Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Ohio? Anybody good on American geography? Absolutely not. I don't okay. know where Manchester is. No, true, true. And we've just missed the Cincinnati USA Book Festival, which was Saturday, the October the 11th. But again, that's got a very professional-looking website, so I'm going to assume that's coming back. Oh. Well, there's also, and I keep forgetting the, the name of it, but there's a massive librarians convention <coughs> uh, in the States, and it's one of the, it's one of like the major book fairs. Um, and every time, every time it comes up, I'm always very jealous of it because it just, it just looks like you know, all jam, all the time. Absolutely lovely as all the the American Association of Librarians get together and um, look at all of the books and all of the things at all of the time. Would that be the American Library Association uh, midwinter meeting and annual conference? That would be the one. I think the last time it was in Hawaii. Ooh. Blind. Oh, they have a lot of they have a lot of meetings. Um, oh yeah. Okay. Annual conf. Uh, they've got a midwinter meeting January twentieth to February the third in Chicago, Illinois. Ooh. Annual conference for twenty fifteen, San Francisco, California, June twenty fifth to thirtieth. Talking of genre related things, we were just chatting away earlier this week to Crystal Huff, uh, who's putting together the Helsinki twenty seventeen bid for uh, Worldcon. Oh, yes, you were, you were. Oh, yeah, Helsinki. Go Helsinki. The, the reason we care about this, by the way, is because the Hugo... Because it's easy to get to. Well, <laughs> uh, the, the Hugo Awards are a major genre prize, um, and we'd quite like to cover it again. Uh, we really liked it when it was in London. We're not going to get to Saskatoon. Uh, we're not going to get to Kansas. We might be able to get to Kansas if we can find a tornado. We're, <laughs> not, in, we're not in Kansas or anymore, some Toto. Shoes, some red ruby shoes. Um, but let, let's face it, the, the closest one we're going to get to is Helsinki. But it all depends on your vote. So if you are a Hugo voter, you should be doing two things. First thing you should be doing is you should be getting uh, your pre-supporting ticket um, so you can vote in the Hugo Awards and you can also vote for site selection. When you vote for site selection, you should be voting for Helsinki because we're horribly biased. And also, while you're doing your Hugo Awards, you should be putting as best fan cast the Radio Bookworm. Did I say that? Yeah. Yes! yes. Um, go on, go on, go <laughs> you on. Know you, go wanna. on. you know you want to. You know you want to. Um, talking about award-winning topics, we did actually have a theme for this show, and I've completely forgotten what it was. Um, <laughs> it says consequences at the top. I think that's consequences of not preparing and said going off to see a video in Night Vale last night, which was awesome. Uh, but we can't talk about. Unfortunately, we can't talk about. Because they asked very nicely. And also the voices might get us. Uh, absolutely. Um, mm. it, it but they asked very nicely. They were very nice about it. What we can tell you is that the weather is excellent. The weather is excellent, and the theme is librarians, which is something that's very close to our heart. And in the case of that particular show, but you've already said too much. You've already said too much. I have, I have, and something is coming for me. I can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, so Kushiel Start is um, incredibly lengthy book with an incredibly detailed world. You know, accidentally again, we, we've kind of hit upon world building because that's mm. a thousand pages worth of world building. Yeah. Metal Made Flesh is again, what, 200 pages? Even if that. 
but yet vividly, vividly brings you into a world. It's only 115 pages. Bring, brings you visually, visually and uh, visibly into mm. into the world. I think partially Metal Made Flesh sort of cheats by having lots and lots of beautiful illustrations. But it's not a cheat. It's an extra beautiful thing that you get. So I, I think we could say today's theme was Vivid Worlds. Vivid Worlds, Vivid Worlds. There we go. That's what we'll pretend uh-huh, to uh-huh. Was. It was totally, totally planned. Embrace the alternative with Fab Radio. I've been your host at Fortune. And I've been your host named for Hayes. Bye. Bye-bye. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab, Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes. Produced by A.L. Johnson. <laughs>